Oh yes, hello and welcome to today's Pop-Up Submissions Live. And the theme today is science fiction. We've got five fabulous new submissions from writers looking to get their publishing feet wet. And I need you to help me find a winner. On the panel today is author and marketing maven, yeah, Janie Mollett. Wow. Together with television journalist and news reporter Andy Dickinson. How about that? Well, it's getting to a very exciting stage in the monthly leaderboard. Let's have a look. A big upset on last week's show when Miriam Morrison stormed out of nowhere to win the hearts and minds of, well, the genius room and everybody else with her romantic comedy, The Shop of Second Chances. 74 points is going to be very hard to beat, but we do have some stonkingly good submissions today, so stick around and let the battle commence. And here we go, straight into submission number one. It's called The Rip Wars, colon, Horizon and Kingdom. It's science fiction, of course, and it's from Nathaniel. And this is Nathaniel's blurb. As a recent veteran of Operation Inherent Resolve, I'm eager to see more work paralleling current events in a science fiction setting. As a result, I wrote my first novel, Faction Killing Horizon, a 130,000-word cyberpunk space opera within one year of my return from Iraq. It's the first book in a potential series portraying the veteran experience in a military science fiction setting, similar to how Joe Haldeman's Forever War portrayed the Vietnam experience. Okay, so I'm going to tell you straight off, Nathaniel, that's not a blurb. So I'm going to mark you low on that. I'm sorry, but it's just not a blurb. Um, if you want to know what a blurb is, I did do a seminar on blurbs, actually, a live video seminar, a recording of which is inside the colony, so you can have a look at that. But let me tell everybody about you. I'm an army vet, cybersecurity cyber consultant, and self-proclaimed history nerd. Currently, I live in Chicago with my dog, Bones. What a great name for a dog. Enduring another brutal winter. Hopefully, it's coming to an end now. Uh, global events of the last few years, the isolation of quarantine and a deployment to Iraq as an army advisor inspired me to write my debut novel. Uh, well, OK, we are going to give you a totally, totally badass kickstart with this reading by Barbara. The Rip Wars. Horizon and Kingdom by Nathaniel Jungheim Read by Barbara Prologue Franklin the Forest There it is again! Major Hiro shouted, thrusting her finger at a smudge of stars just over the blue-green horizon of Proxima B. Colonel de Forest strained to focus out of the window of the cockpit of the United States Space Force Recovery Vessel Trailblazer. You either got eyes of an eagle, or you're losing your damn mind, he said in frustration. Sir, I'm telling you, something is out there. Look, just five degrees up and ten degrees to port. The aging commander of the trailblazer gazed at the blackness of space for a few seconds, focusing on a pair of stars in the vicinity of Hyra's instructions. The pair remained unchanged, until, for a moment, they disappeared. What the hell? he said out loud. Hyro responded eagerly. You saw it, didn't you? 
Something is out there. He continued to watch and saw another trio of stars vanish and then reappear. It's moving. What could it be, a black asteroid? Hyra asked, holding onto the frame of the window above her seat, attempting to stabilise herself in the weightlessness of space. Could be. De Forest picked out the next set of stars that he predicted would be blocked out. Based on the few seconds it took between the first set and the second set, the third set of stars would vanish momentarily. However, that moment never came and a feeling of anxiety boiled up in him. I lost it. I don't see it either, his co-pilot admitted. Computer, scan 1,000 kilometres dead ahead for anything unusual, said De Forest. The computer replied with an acknowledging beep. No anomalies detected, the trailblazer's computer announced. De Forest pushed away from the console, landing back in his seat with a hard thump and paused to collect his thoughts. The concern on his face gradually disappeared and he finally sighed in relief. Probably some residuals from the vortex distorting our optics. Or hell, maybe we are high. When's the last time we checked the environmentals? Hyro floated away from the window and landed softly in her chair, quickly strapping herself in before the collision repelled her back into the cockpit of the ship. Yeah, but it's isolated. We should see distortions all round the rib. She listened to the air cycling system whirling in the cockpit of the trailblazer for a moment and checked her interface. Life support's fine. Maybe the exposure to subspace is affecting our mental the functionality. It shouldn't cause any hallucinations. At least that's what the eggheads back on Earth said. Hyro said more as a question than an answer. I'd better not be growing some sort of brain tumour. Her eyes starting up in a futile attempt to examine her own mind. Relax. If we saw the same thing, then it can't be a hallucination. Probably just some random piece of space debris. There are half a dozen old space probes orbiting the planet. Happens all the time. And we've already wasted too much time on our space ghost. How far along is Major Lawrence with her EVA? She has been working on that old gate tuck for damn near an hour. I would hope she would almost be done by now. Hyro punched up an image on her console's interface of the third crew member's visor camera. De Forest glanced over to see the side of the gigantic hull of the chariot. He admired the deterioration of the impact shield caused by 30 years of interstellar dust hitting the hull at a fraction of the speed of light. What had taken the chariot three decades had only taken them 20 minutes through the rip, thanks to the subspace gate it had constructed autonomously. Okay, got it. Lawrence is almost done with the reprogram. Great. Let's not hang around here any longer then. DeForest stopped mid-sentence, distracted by a sudden change in the star field. Then we have to, Hyro said, finishing his sentence. A larger group of stars to the starboard side of the ship vanished and reappeared, followed by another group of stars. It changed direction, he stuttered. No way, Hyra replied in disbelief. The disappearing and reappearing group of stars was growing larger and Hyra could now see it. It's coming towards us, Hyra yelled. De Forest hit the intercom. Lawrence, get your ass in the blazer. We're leaving now. Okay, so there's a little um, puzzle there that you've said is Nathaniel, actually, involving your dog's name and uh, name of your protagonist. And I think I've solved that, but I'm not going to uh, say anything about them. I'm, let's just see what the genius room is saying. Um, doesn't sound like military dialogue, says Ed. Lex said, like the idea here, but it's a bit overwritten. A lot for, we think we see something or maybe we don't. Um, Kate was getting into it. 
Very, very good. I'm wondering if you were getting into it, Jamie. Um, y- yes, and, yes and no, I think, is, is what I'd say. There's, there was, there's something good in there. There's a potentially explosive start to a novel of, of uh, people in ships seeing something that's not, in, not supposed to be there and them being scared by it. Yep. But I didn't get to that. I got. To, I, it took. I, I had to search. I had to search for that. I mean, sci-fi's you've got to do a lot with sci-fi in the first few pages. You know, you got to build worlds. Yeah. You got. You got to start with the bang. You've got to build the characters, and I didn't quite didn't quite do that. But I think it's buried within there is is actually quite good stuff. But actually, I actually wasn't sure why it was a prologue. It seemed like the start of a book. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, Okay. Are you good with the the voting? I didn't check this beforehand. Are you okay with the voting? You got the voting page up there. Yeah, you have. That's fantastic. Good. And Andy, first reactions, please. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with what Jamie said. Um, I mean, he, you know, Nathaniel's obviously come into this with an interesting background for writing. I thought. Yeah. I thought the opening was nice. Actually, I thought we were straight into the action, and you know, it was kind of a intriguing little idea of the kind of like the stars blinking out and stuff. Um, the. the the idea of kind of micro or zero gravity was quite interesting because that micro zero gravity seemed to be acting more violently than I expected to be. Like when when he landed in his seat with a thump. Well, I guess we're used to watching films like Gravity, where you're kind of floating around with quite a softness. Yeah. Um, and the way you were drawing it just seemed a little bit more violent than that. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. I, I thought, I think it's a quite a nice hook. I think where you were losing me was when you were talking about whether I'm hallucinating or not, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then I started going a little bit off off interest. But you pulled me back towards the end. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. Okay, what do we think, um, uh, both guys, guys today, kind of, what, do, what do we think, guys, about the title, The Rip Wars? Is that going to stick um, in your mind? I'm pretty no, I think it's, it. No. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it feels like it's trying to set up a trilogy um, of something. I think you need to, yeah, I think you need to earn the right for that. Um, okay. So yeah, All right. not convinced. Not convinced. We're not totally convinced on that. Um, I don't mind it too much, but there we go. You've uh, you've heard what our guests have said, Nathaniel. Now then, I need to point you to. You see, this is the thing about the genius room. They are always at least three steps in front of me, and that means two steps in front of ordinary people, of course. But um, let's just see what Johnny says here. Okay, it's the top of the second column at the moment. It says Johnny bones the dog. DeForest Kelly just saying yes. Now this is he got it straight away. I I had to get there in a slightly more involved way and it was like this i thought because at the moment i just haven't been watching a lot of um a lot of star trek actually it's retro it's just comforting viewing actually it's mm. kind of positive and optimistic i don't know if anyone else feels like that yeah i've been um, watching next generation for months now so. oh my god yes yes well, i'm out of I'm out of tng are you <laughs> i've never got star trek no my sister loves star trek but i've always it's always been a battle in our house, Star Wars, Star Wars versus Star Trek. So yeah. I, I, I you probably don't want to because of that. I you can, can both. You are allowed. Huh? You can't. Are you though? <laughs> no. So let, let me tell you. Let me just give you my, my thought process here. So I was thinking to myself, you know, okay, this is all right. This is all right, uh, Nathaniel, but Nate, but it's I've seen this before many, many times, and you know, it's it's typically how Star Trek will set up an opener, like there's something out there, or some somebody decloaks, or whatever it is, and there we go. So I personally, I'd need something a lot more original to hook my attention to begin with. But then, so already being a star, you know, Star Trek frame of mind, then I started to think, D Forest, 
DeForest. That's a very strange name. Where else have I come across that? And of course, in Star Trek, what character did he play? He played the Doctor, known as Bones. Bones. Name of your dog, Nate. So, yeah, that's, that's quite sweet, actually. I like that a lot. Um, I need something to be a little more different. I need a stronger logline here, stronger sense of purpose. Um, so let's just have a look at the... Uh, the overall numbers You've got a 48 that can change as our genii um uh, vote uh, up or down it can go down as well as up but it usually goes up but who, who can say um so that's a reasonable beginning um i think the thing that's really held you back on that in terms of the numbers is the blurb it ain't a blurb and well a blurb we can't really uh, give it a decent mark can we <laughs> And straight on to submission number two today. It's called Redshift. Uh, hello. Hello, Phil Coleman. I think you're on the show today, Phil. Nice to have you here. Redshift by Phil Coleman, indeed. There's a QR code. If you want to scan that, you will go to, I guess it's Phil's website, but it could be anywhere, actually. Magical mystery journey you've got there. If you scan that QR code, this is Phil's blurb. The problem with galactic colonization is that faster the light travel requires a genius intellect and has the unfortunate side effect of massive psychological damage. Only the messengers, an elite group trained to resist these perils, have any hope of making the jump. It's up to them to form the loose connections of humanity across the galaxy and to act when danger looms. So when the world is once again threatened, morally dubious Sid Miller is sent to save it by any means possible. Let me tell you about Phil. Phil Coleman is an author of fantasy and science fiction adventure books for middle grade, young adult and adult audiences. He uh, currently has two books available, The Quickborn Odyssey, a whimsical middle grade fantasy adventure, and When James Fell, a YA cross-worlds fantasy adventure. He also has an upcoming science fiction novel, Riddled Worlds, Riddled, oh, that's a little, quite challenging to say. Riddled worlds. Oh, I like that. Uh, if I can say it, planned for release this summer. He lives in the U.S. in the mountains of Colorado with his wife and two daughters, all voracious readers themselves. And we've got a great reading from uh, the ultimate voracious reader. Really, it's Robert. Redshift by Phil, read by Robert. Chapter One, The Mailbox. I've got a treat for you this time, Sidney. I think you'll like it. Sid looked up to see his doctor grinning with devilish intensity. Are you sure about that, Nathan? Last I heard, they didn't send messengers to the beaches. Use the beam, it'd be cheaper. Anyway, my contract probably has some clause saying I can't risk a sunburn. Sid looked past the doctor through the thick paned window spreading the far wall. Beyond, the tiniest sliver of Earth's atmosphere shone a sickly yellow against a field so littered with satellites and relays that distinguishing actual stars from detrius was impossible. The treachery of navigating the jetsam of two millennia was only a footnote as to why Sid would never be allowed Earthside again. Even if the planet hadn't been locked in global war, the company wouldn't risk their assets to traditional spaceflight. Nathan chuckled as he removed the sensor from Sid's upper arm. 
You're thinking about it the wrong way, the doctor said. I'm not talking location. I'm talking colour. Heart rate normal, by the way. Sid raised an eyebrow. Red shift or blue shift? Red. Very, very, very red. How red? Look, Sid, if it was any redder, you'd be back before you left. Sid smiled in spite of himself. Not everyone liked a high redshift, a location where time moved faster than Earth standard. The disadvantage, or so some complained, was that the messenger aged too quickly. Relatively speaking, of course. But Sid didn't mind growing old faster than his colleagues, and he had no family left to get upset for him. Being behind the times, missing out, that rankled. And so, when there was a heavy redshift jump, they called him first. If his internal clock outpaced Earth normal, no sweat. Fine by me. So, am I clear? Nathan finished ticking away at the display in his hand. Once done, he slid it into a slot in the two meter tall by one meter cylinder in the middle of the room. The device, termed a dock box by the medical staff, acted as dispenser, collector and sanitizer of instruments, as well as playing a diagnostic role in any tests. The dock box also had a direct conduit into the station's records. It recorded details from any visit and dispensed information and direction when appropriate. Nathan smiled back at Sid. You're looking as well as ever. So, Sidney, my friend, I pronounce you clear for takeoff. Sid grunted in acknowledgement. He hopped back to his feet and removed the last of the semi-adhesive sensors. He flicked them one by one from his body. The dock box retracted each sensor as they were removed until they had all disappeared inside. Sid stopped to glare at it. He didn't mind the big brother was watching. That was a given when it came to the company. His problem was that for all its clean lines and retracting cords, Sid knew the interior to be a mess of wires and servos, all crammed into a sleek façade. Simple things should be simple, not just appear so. Then again, maybe that was just the ascetic in him talking. Sid turned to face the physician. If it is what you say it is, Nathan, would you like to see me off and welcome me back? Gladly. Then we can hit the bar after they've debriefed you. I'll even drink for you, just to keep the bartender happy. So, ready for the jump? Not yet. Where am I going? Ah, of course, he winked at Sid. Here you go. Nathan punched a clearance code into the dock box, which produced a small plastic card that he handed to Sid. The front of the card had the written description of his target, a mining station named Cobalt 7 in the Pleiades. The back of the card contained the navigational coordinates, which Sid committed to memory in moments. The company always withheld the messenger's destination until the last possible moment, a matter of security in these unsettled times. After reading the card, Sid handed it back to Nathan, who dutifully fed it into the machine. Sid then popped the plastic seal on the bag in front of him. All right, let's get straight into the genius room reaction. Always right, never wrong, in my experience. Um, so Blurb got some uh, generally positive reaction, I think, there. Uh, Phil, uh, a lot of people saying, like Barbara, you were saying, good Blurb. Uh, Lex loves the premise. I like the premise a lot, actually. There's some, you know, it's a, it's a, everyone sort of takes, you know, uh, light speed uh, travel for granted. Yeah, we can do that. We're straight into warp nine. But actually, it may not be that easy. <laughs> 
or possible. <laughs> and uh, I, I like. I think that's a. It's an intriguing concept, actually. I don't know if anyone else has uh, found it yet, but I think it's quite interesting. Uh, great title says James R G says blurb a bit wordy. It's a little long. That has intrigued me enough to want to read. Matt says, good blurb. Title is interesting. Sounds a bit Junish. Uh, interestingly focus on. And then uh, too much telling on the first page. Lex says, reasonable world building. An info dump uh, too early on. I think you can get away with that a bit more in sci-fi, actually, than you generally can do. Um, and Pamela says, very clean writing. Interesting dialogue. Don't mind the info feed. It, it's just not enough story to hook me. Did it hook you, Andy? Um, so I'm going to uh, come into this with a little caveat. I've always thought that I loved science fiction. And then a couple of Christmases ago, one of my best friends gave me his entire library to lend. Mind <laughs> you, he wrapped it up like it was a really lovely present. It was just old books. <laughs> but, um, friends of, like uh, those, eh? Oh. Yeah, I know. Of, uh, of Ian Banks's um, uh, sci-fi novels. And I have really struggled with them. And, and, really? And part of the reason I struggle with them is... is relates i think to your intro is you're very jargon heavy from the top too jargon heavy for me to be honest so i it distanced me a little bit with your your talk of use the beam that kind of thing in the opening in the opening paragraph i was already swimming a bit i think there's some really nice touches in this when you're talking about getting old too early and not having any family left i'm starting to identify with the character that kind of thing but the amount of jargon around it left me a bit unsure who I was or where I was going, which I know is sort of the premise you're, you're setting up, and by the end you've told me that I'm, we're going to some mining colony and that kind of thing. Hmm. But, um, but yeah, I, I just I struggled, I think, because of the amount of, of jargon and ideas you were throwing at me early doors. What sort do you... I mean, can you... I'll put you on the spot here. Can you think of any sci-fi that you really do like and isn't, you know, is it the other end of that spectrum then? I, I love most sci-fi. And to be honest, when, when you were speaking about light travel via the mind, that reminded me a little bit of Asimov's foundation because mm. he's got a similar yeah. idea in, like, how we, we move through, we're using our minds in yeah. conjunction with sort of telepathy, I think, with the ship is, is more his concept yeah. of how you travel large distances. So I genuinely love sci-fi. I've just finished reading Blade Runner, which mm. someone else bought me for Christmas. Um, so yeah, sci-fi is sort of my thing. But I have realised recently that that jargon-heavy yeah. air of sci-fi, the, the kind of yeah. the space opera side, you know, yeah. with, with, with a lot of jargon I struggle with. Good. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a great analysis. Thank you very much, Andy. Uh, Jamie, you are uh, yeah, sort of in the broader sense of sci-fi writer by accident. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I say, I'd say I'm a speculative fiction writer, and the, the last yeah. book I wrote was was sci-fi. But I didn't I didn't intend it to be sci-fi, but I did read sci-fi as well. I, I, I I'm, but I sort of tend to lean to sort of more cerebral stuff. Like, I just one of the best books last year was um, Skyward In by L.A. Whiteley. Absolutely awesome. Um, and I also struggle with the sort of the, the space opera stuff, really, apart from Adrian, Adrian Tchaikovsky, who does it beautifully. Um, but, yeah, so, so I, again, I, str I struggled the same way as you did, actually. I thought there was, a, it was, there was so much world building rammed into the first few pages that I kind of got to the end of it and thought, well, I've not learned anything there, really, apart from one, the, the red shift, blue shift thing, which was really intriguing, like that. That bit, that one paragraph, I was like, "Oh, this is cool. This that's a, that's a new idea. I want to I want to know what that is." Um, actually, uh, speaking of new ideas, the the there is a book called Legacy of Hero that did that sort of psychological damage from 
Interstellar Travel. And I only know this because it was a book that I read my uncle lent to me when I was a kid and it stuck with me for years. I daren't go back and find it. And I put it on Andy Miller, uh, met text, uh, uh, text Andy Miller, who does the Backlisted podcast. And he put it out and said, what's this book? And somebody said, it's Legacy of Hero. And I was like, I don't think I want to read it because like, that was a big book when I was a kid. And I read yeah. it and it was still actually okay. Um, but they do that in that they travel to, to a colony and, they, and they've all, they've, they're all like geniuses, but they all get slightly psychologically damaged. So they're all, their IQs have dropped considerably, which yeah. means they can't deal with what's happening in front of them. Um, uh, but that's, that's my side. So I thought I thought the blurb was great, really, really good. I think the premise is really good. It's really interesting. Mm. Um, but there was a lot of a lot of a lot of telling there, a lot of information dumped on me that I just. It's difficult though with sci-fi, isn't it? Actually, because I mean, you you there is a lot that you do have to tell because it is you know I mean you, we need the basic constraints of the universe explained somehow. It's the trick, isn't it? It's mm. building the world over a period of time in a way that that makes it feel natural rather than dumping it on and that's a really hard thing to do yeah and world building that's that's one of the scariest things about writing sci-fi actually one of the reasons i never really wanted to do it but ended up doing it is that world building thing is is petrifying it's, well let's just you know, you've let's got to just, build something convincing but while the uh, genius room who are not psychologically damaged i hasten, hasten to say um <laughs> while while they're, they're doing their cogitation let's just look at um your latest oh, perfect segue yeah isn't it just um this is <laughs> imminently about to come out in paperback or has it just come out it's just come out come out uh, last month yeah okay and, and uh, everywhere now. yes please you get in from waterstones you get oh, the lovely green edges oh, and special waterstones it. edition i love it I do love a spread i love it the thing is the thing is that books are supposed to be objects you know, I've been talking about this a lot recently, actually, past couple of weeks with publishers and writers and all sorts of things, that we, we totally ignore at our peril the physicality of books. I've lost his interest. I've got my daughter's just popped in. She wants me to open this. It's right. It's right. People say this all the time. Here we go. Let's look at the genius room now. Let's look at the total, let's look at the total votes here. I'm just excited to open yogurt live telly. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's, it's a live show, guys. We we like this. Always on the, as well. Can always on the bleeding edge. There you go, <laughs> Phil. I hope you're happy with that because you're leading so far with the 59. Just uh, just coming back to you actually for a moment, Jamie. Um, so I, I just wanted to talk about or get you to talk about. Actually, it's my hint to you to talk about the physicality of books. You just yeah. shows those nice edges again. It's a real thing, and I, and, I, and I, it's it's like it's like I was talking to um, someone in Watsons about this the other day. It, it's mm. it's I use Spotify to listen to all of my music, but I've got a set number of artists that I will always buy the vinyl of because yeah. I want that tactility. Yeah. And, and I'll and I listen to audiobooks and I read books on my Kindle, but I will always buy certain books by certain people. And this this trend that's been coming back through now to spend money on the cover mm. design and the print. I mean, the, mm. the, the, the amount, because I'm a bit of a print geek, the amount of um, things that has been done to this book, so we've got, it's, it's got foil embossed, it's got, it's, it's got in, in, in prints, it's got, mm. it's got Pantone colors on it, it's got a green, the green edges. People mm. are, uh, publishers are actually spending a bit of money now on yeah. making the thing, uh, it, you know, like it, it, think the book's a thing of beauty again that make you want mm. to hold them and touch them. I, 
I've, I've bought I've bought three or four books the last month that I have no intention of buying, but because they have beautiful spreadsheets. Yes. Do it's, you think there's a cognitive dis uh, difference? I think there is. I'm not sure there's research into it, but I, 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 I've been talking to a lot of people about this over the past few weeks. I, I, I find it easier and more, just not necessarily easier, but more pleasurable to read a physical book. And, and it makes more impact on me. I remember them easier than just endless amounts of text on screen that was we we you know we see all day do you think there's a difference for you yeah um i read physical books and i i like audiobooks i like audiobooks for the for that sensation of someone reading a story to you and i actually find that i do the audiobooks stay with me um in a lot more detail than than kindles uh, books um but i think there's there is there isn't the one, the books that have stayed with me most over the last year are tactile, beautiful hardbacks. Yeah, and probably, absolutely. probably for that reason. It's, it's. And I guess it depends whether you're a kinetic learner or um, whatever the other one is. I can't. Oh, the opposite of kinetic is probably peaceful. I don't know. Um, Andy, do you do you do you? Uh, I mean, is this a trend? Do you think, Andy? Is, is this? Do you do more ebook reading than physical reading, or vice versa? I'm, I'm a bit of a luddite. I only really read proper books. I had a Kindle for a while, and then the wife took it with her. I yeah. kind of enjoyed it, but for like you know, the couple of weeks I had it, but um, yeah. I wasn't desperate to buy one afterwards. And, and, I wonder, uh, I wonder, if, I wonder if people are not actually stopping reading Kindles, actually, and going back to physical, you know. I don't know if they're bringing out new Kindles, but certainly not as fast as they used to. Or maybe Amazon mm. just isn't interested anymore, I don't know. I'll stop the conversation. I'm really reading a Kindle more than... Obviously, reading off a screen, I don't think is particularly pleasurable. Because the Kindle is smart in that it does sort of feel like a book. But I won't yeah. just have a book, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe genre readers are still uh, big into digital reading because you can, you can get, you can, I mean, you can get a lot of books for ninety nine cents these days, and uh, and if that's what you want, then good luck to you. But I do hope, I I hope it's, it gets bigger than vinyl. Actually, the physicality of books. I hope people actually, you know, do realise that there's so much more to reading than just you know absorbing digital information, which is, frankly is a bit glum. What are the percentages? Do we know? The no, percentage no. Of not reliably, digital. actually, no. Getting getting data out of Amazon is very, very difficult indeed. Publishers constantly complaining about that. Um, mm. Let's go on to submission number three. All right, here we go. It's Good Grief. Look at that title. Look at that title. All right, I'm going to do my best with this. 45 degrees west 135 degrees south 45 west 135 south now then there's a title for you to go head round do you like it do you or do you hate it i like it actually i think it's really distinctive it's one of the most distinctive titles i've seen for a long time i can totally understand a lot of people will hate it it's going to completely divide people kit what have you done this is Kit's blurb. Society has been purified. All misfits, abnormalities, and mental health issues are now imprisoned in a so-called hospital far away, where reality can blur inside a sick mind. But the time of accepting your imprisonment might just be over. Let me tell the world about you, Kit. I've held down jobs in retail for most of my life. 
But for the most part, theatre has been my escape. I think my love of theatre reflects a lot in the kind of characters I write. Hmm. I've no writing qualifications. It's all right. Uh, no previous publications. But as in theatre, I learned by doing. 45 West, 135 South was a dream that I had. That's so interesting how dreams often are the progenitors of, of brilliant books, actually, throughout history. Um, which has then developed as an outlet for some very painful periods in my life. This novel has been a place for me to say the things I could never say out loud. My cry for help. I've always written, but this is the first time I've completed something that I would want to see published. I've realised that I want this story out in the world because it's been my expression of my deepest fears in my darkest moments. And maybe, in some way, it can help others who face a similar struggle. That's very interesting. What will be even more interesting, I guarantee you, is this reading by Emily. 45 degrees west, 135 degrees south. By Kit. Read by Emily. Fuck. I hate that fucking siren. I don't bother to open my eyes. I know everyone else in the ward is doing the same. I don't usually even notice it. There's no one to hound us out of bed anymore anyway. I stretch and kick Kef, sleeping next to me. Or, not sleeping. He never really sleeps. At least he isn't dead. I check. Kef? He grunts. Yeah, I can't be arsed to talk much either. Another minute and the siren will stop. I stay lying on my back. Did you sleep? I get nothing. I look over. He's lying like he always does, body twisted to the wall, face staring at the bottom of the metal bunk bed above us, thin, pale, like all of us, patchy, dirty blonde hair sticking up against the rotten mattress. He shakes his head slowly. I back up against him for warmth, curling up. Did you dream? He grunts painfully. Yeah, it's not dreaming really. The nightmares, the visions, the hallucinations that make him try to strangle me or beat his head against the wall. We call them dreams to make them sound better, so at least we're not afraid to go to sleep. Finally, it's shut up. Our room is quiet-ish. As quiet as it'll ever get with all the sobbing and moaning. The bed next to the door squeaks. X-92 as always. He pushes the steel door, which doesn't move, so waits. Moron. It hasn't buzzed yet. Our door is always one of the last to open. Some glitch in the automated system they haven't bothered to update. Buzz. Click. The door pops open a bit. I watch X-92 leave. The noise level is growing outside in the corridor. Some of the others start to move, so I kick Kef. Stay in bed or get up? Get up. It's been a bad night, then. We crawl out and drag ourselves to the door. We push into the crowds of us in the corridor. Kef puts his hands on my hips so we don't get separated, so he doesn't get trampled. I can feel the panicky feeling starting in my stomach. Stare straight ahead. Ignore. They're water. They're not real. At least I'm not on my own. Why the fuck? holding on to some shitty routine that doesn't mean anything anymore. We push and shove our way into the showers. It's as filthy as we are. Some of the doors are gone or broken. There's rust and mould everywhere and shit and blood and vomit and I swear there's more and more every day. No one cleans this place anymore. Inmates are trying to squash into cubicles together and there's already fights breaking out and the OCDs are scratching at their own skin and picking and I hate that. Where's the rest of our group? X2's holding the end cubicle for us. I get over there, dragging Kef behind me, and we squeeze in. Sminty starts banging the shower to get it going, and ten pisses. 
X2 Sminty 10 or 58 V34 Fizz Fuck we all made it today How did that happen? Kef talks to them I don't They're not friends No one here is Just useful for situations like this Kef holds the lockless door shut against the madness X2 and R58 hold our rags while we try to shower in the dribble of cold water and I take my turn pissing I guess we feel cleaner mentally It's a What's the word? Placebo, I think. I remember a doctor telling me that once. Fuck, a doctor. When was the last time I saw one of those in this fucking hospital? Alright, let's get straight into the genius room, I think. Because we've got lots of thoughts and reactions there. Uh, Yeah, Matt, I was going to do this. I haven't done it. I immediately Googled the location. What is it, Matt? Please... What, what is it? You've got to tell us. You can't just tantalise us with that. Uh, he will in a moment, I'm sure. Um, RG says title will be very hard to Google. It's absolutely right, and you've got to think about that. Uh, and the writer should consider implications of this. Um, and there's a discussion going on there, uh, e-books versus uh, physical. James says head-spinning title. Um, and I've got some pronunciation help from Lex that I'm not going to read. Uh, Eva says unusual title, but not very exciting. Interesting blurb, though, she says. Uh, Coordinates are big in alternate reality games, says Jan. So makes my inner ARG geek lean forwards. I didn't know that. That's good. Formatting is tough on the eyes, says RG. I totally agree. You're not doing yourself any favours with that formatting, actually. Does that matter? Are we just being prissy? No, actually, it really does matter because, you know, think about someone... Uh, a junior usually or temp actually reading uh, submissions on Friday afternoon at a literary agency for example if you're using the uh, traditional method of submitting manuscripts um, and they come across something that's really difficult to read um, and maybe the writing is brilliant but the presentation is crap and uh, make it harder make it harder on yourself than it has to be Ed says where is this the fact that coordinates do not exist on earth <gasps> I didn't know that is interesting but confusing alright lots of great comments there what do you think Jamie yeah, I like that. Um, I'm not sure about the title. I think as a marketing person, mm. it, it's just too much to do. Like, it's intriguing, yeah. but but it, it doesn't tell you anything at all. Um, so as my marketing radar's going now, that's, I couldn't, that would be difficult, difficult to sell. But the blurb was really good. Um, it gave just enough away to be intriguing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but not, but you, you sort of get the idea of what's happening. But, yeah. but it makes you want to find out more. Um, yeah, it does. Novellas yeah. doing really well at the moment as well. Novellas are a good call. I think there's there's a re- re- resurgence of them. There's some really good ones. So there's um, Alison Moore, for example, absolute master. She can do more in 120 pages than I can do in 500. Just it, then it's such a skill. Like if you can do it, then fair play to you because um, it's it's difficult. Um, I thought it was really. I thought I thought it was nicely written. I, I enjoyed the enjoyed the writing. I, I thought about the formatting as well. Like the. You're absolutely right. If that came through to me and I started mm. reading it about halfway through that big paragraph, I'd be like, yeah. that's, that's yeah, too much hard work. That's right, yeah. Um, but talking about world building from the last one, I thought the world building was at a really good level in this. Like, it, it, sort of, it, sort of, it sort of built a world that was close enough to ours to be familiar, but with just enough in there that was different to make you realise that you're in something sci-fi. And that's the sort of sci-fi that, that I like. You feel comfortable enough with it and then the differences shock you to know that you're somewhere else and that's that's the sort of and, and i'm sure the world would build more as you as you went through it but i think that's 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 the way to do it um so yeah, yeah overall I, I thought that had a fair bit of potential actually fantastic well that's very encouraging thank you jamie andy i've got to admit i, I started off quite cynical about this um 
the title, I kind of gave it three and then Emily said it and then I immediately bumped it up to a four. Oh, that's the danger um, of Emily's readings, isn't it? <laughs> you know, what, what, what can I say? The blurb, I just thought, you, when you start, it, it was a very short blurb and very punchy and I applaud you for that. The thing for me was when you started, oh, it's, it's about misfits. And, and I was kind of, well, pretty much all sci-fi probably centres on misfits as their central characters, you know, a lot. Um, and then I was like, oh, mental health sci-fi, you know, is one flew over the cuckoo's nest in the future going to be any difference of one flew over the cuckoo's nest anyway? Uh. But as as this went on, once we got from them waking up and stuff, I wasn't too interested in that. And yes, the big, well, the big blocks of, of text I will defend in a way because it's almost like you're splurging out information. You're just, you're splurging out your life, waking up in this mental facility and as it went on do you know what i i got i i, st- I started to really like it when he hmm. described people as water i thought that was really nifty um and then the idea that, that no one cleans like like jamie's saying it is it is something simple like that that then you know you immediately do okay maybe this is sci-fi because yes things have degraded that much and this idea that 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 tribes of i mean my, my my cynicism also kicked in with the mental health because working in telly we do or working in telly news we do mm. so much mental health orientated stories mm. and having had friends and relatives who have mental health you know you, you start to wonder whether we're all literally going down a, a path of having mental health problems i know, I know. But, when you started to kind of make it almost tribal there's the people with ocd over there and yeah, and I, I started to picture it more. And I was like, "Yeah, this is getting really That's pretty good, isn't it? Actually, yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. a lot going for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. All right. I think you got a generally good reaction there, Kit. If you are with us now, you can say so. Just give us a little uh, comment on YouTube. When we we like to get uh, your feedback on us because we give you feedback on you. Um, so let's just see. Who are these people? Why are they there? I think I don't know. I think I think I know that. Matian says, nice writing. Feel for the characters who want to know more. Matt Sko show says, his book came up plus a lot of photo stuff. I don't know what that means. Um, Lex says, it's 700 words of really awful stuff. <laughs> Not writing, but stuff. <laughs> but nothing to keep us engaged beyond these poor people. Oh, I think it will. I think it will. But who knows? Let's look at the numbers. You got a 69 kit. I think I'd be very pleased with that if I were you. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, let's look at the overall numbers so far. We're three out of five. And Stone the Crows kit. It looks like you're ahead there. But we've got two more to go, of course. So anything can happen. <laughs> I tell you what, just prove we are actually genuine live. Let's see how uh, Brandon is doing, because he's desperately trying to, to get past, I think it's about £30 million. He's well over $30 million at the moment. He's only trying to raise seven. Oh, there we go. It's going up. Yes, it's going all the time. People are giving money to Brandon. Isn't that wonderful? And more. <laughs> what, do we, what do we think of this, guys? This, this is the biggest book deal ever, just about. He is over $30 million uh, now. Um, have you got any views on this at all? Jamie, Andy, what do we think about this? I've got really, really mixed views, views about it, I think, actually. Uh, like, you, you can't... 
there's always that sort of a Schadenfreude thing in there. You just don't want somebody to be to be to be well, this, yes. this, this <laughs> something basically. But and and um, do you know the thing I'm most worried about it is it's going to be this is everyone's going to believe they can do this now. Oh and yeah, he's not just done this off. It's not just done this yesterday. You know, he's been doing this for twenty years and has built up a, an audience. Yeah, it's still an insane amount of money. I think that's the, the main crazy. the main the main thing that what that's if it was me. And I'd hit my million. I would have probably give quite a lot of the rest of that away. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think he will be judged on whether he does that or not. Whether it, it is, like at the end of the day, he started a Kickstarter and he asked people to give him money for books, and people have gone, oh. "Yeah, cool, have some money for books," and that in itself is fine. Mm. And and it's a shame that he'll be judged on whether he gives it to, to charity or not. But that's I suspect what will happen. I think that's right. And in, inevitably, there are a lot of people online now saying really unpleasant things about him. Some of which may be true, some of which I'm sure are not true. Um, and I think part of that will be just jealousy, actually, from uh, from people. It does show you that Kickstarter can be a really powerful tool, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know much about the story, I must admit. But, but again, in the, you know, at work, we get a lot of crowdfunding-type stories coming our way. A surprising amount. Of, and they can be really... You know, I did a crowdfund my my mum's funeral story once, and which was wow. just heart wrenching. Oh my god! Um, but but you know, it can be a really helpful tool. Twenty yeah. thirty million quid is a heck of a lot of money, and I think sooner or later someone's going to say something negative about you on social media anyway. So well, I think they're, they're, yeah. they've started already. That's yeah. the thing. He'll probably be crying about it on his own private island. Yeah, well, the gym machine has got quite a lot <laughs> All of Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you see, the, the, the contrast. He would never get that from a publisher. The contrast between the sort of deals that especially first-time writers are getting, or actually established writers, mid-list writers now, are getting smaller deals than they were five years ago. Authorial income is dropping like a stone. So it's understandable if a lot of writers are actually really pissed off by this and they think, they, you know, why are you getting all that? And I'm getting half what I'm getting, you know, getting paid last uh, last year. Um, I think there's only one solution to this, actually. Uh, it's already been said several times, but he has he has more than achieved his, his aim. Four books for a million dollars. That's a good book deal. That's a good deal. You know, you can work with that, mate. That's, you're not going to be in the poorhouse for that. The rest of the money, I think you should give to Ukrainian refugees because they need it more than you do, actually, Brandon. I hope you do. But let's, uh, let's watch that. Here we go. Submission number four. It's from Ryan. Hello. <laughs> Good heavens, it's Ryan on YouTube. Very good to have you along. It's sci-fi, as it should be today, and it's called The Voyage of the Copernicus. And this is Ryan's blurb. The Copernicus is the first space vessel to implement astral jumping. Is it keep fit? No, it's a new experimental method of space travel. The ship is commanded by the famous captain Mon pronunciation guide, thank you for this. Uh, Monoidus. Monoidus, thank you. The, sh the ship is commanded by the famous Captain Monoidus on his final voyage. Also on board is a war veteran trying to get home to his beloved, a runaway purple priestess, and a mysterious stowaway. Their stories cross and converge and become entwined with the fate of the Copernicus. Thank you very much for that. Let me just press the correct button and I'll tell everybody about you, Ryan. 
Uh, Ryan achieved his Master's in Creative Writing, congratulations, at the University of Kent in 2018, after following in the footsteps of his poetical heroes by studying and living in Paris. La Boheme, eh? <laughs> and starving to death in a garret. Oh, dear. He finds inspiration from all things mysterious. When not reading, writing and playing bass, he works as a cheesemonger in an artisanal cheese shop. Wow. So, how do you get the smell off, actually? But I don't think you do. I don't, I don't think you can. You can't scrub it off. It's there all the time, isn't it? <laughs> Luckily, some people find it an aphrodisiac. Not me, though. Um, so, <laughs> way off track here. <laughs> Too much information. <laughs> quickly, I say, quickly. <laughs> quickly, we'll rush on to this reading from Jeff. The Voyage of the Copernicus by Ryan, read by Jeff. The launching of the Copernicus into space. Panula, the pearlescent planetoid, twinkled in the mind's eye of Mondius, captain of the Copernicus, as he stood upon the bridge of the spaceship, overlooking the masses who had gathered to witness the historical launch. One day he would find it, but for now it was his task to pilot a new revolutionary space cruiser to Earth using astral jumping, a technique he discovered to allow faster than light speed travel through space. Upon the herbaceous planet of Amulthia, autumn star in the constellation of Capricornus, almost the whole population had flooded to the spaceport to catch a glimpse of the legendary captain make history with the launch of the Copernicus. The ship was long and conical, twisting from the control room the engine exhaust at the back, docked in the spaceport like a loaded bullet, aimed up the heavens and beyond. Its name was written across the hull in huge onyx letters, and between each one ran the quartz glass tube which contained the long space deck wrapped around the ship. The construction had taken 22 years from keel to completion, and in the year 3912, the Copernicus was ready for its maiden voyage. There were those who protested the launch, waving signs calling astral jumping unnatural and dangerous. But the hollow screens ignored the demonstration and focused on the wealthy galactic elites as they boarded the vessel. The control room, the Copernicus, contained a vast and complex console, a sea of flashing lights, screens, levers and buttons. Captain Moindius stood at the main console, directing his crew stationed at their posts. He checked all the instruments were working and responses before flicking the release switches. Engines engaged, he glanced at the course already coded into the star map generated by the Navicom. This machine generated a holographic graph of the surrounding universe using hundreds of dials tuned to stars and constellations, measuring the distances between them based on the ship's current geocentric position. Captain Monidus had the rugged look of an old sea captain. He had a navy uniform and a bushy white beard with wrinkles around his emerald eyes. A lifetime of sailing the cosmic ocean had aged him, but unlike the ancient seafarers, he was not worn down by the salty spray of the sea or the roar of the wind and waves which rocked the boat. He had been scorched by stars and walked by the tiny dilations of black holes. All his adventures had taken a heavy toll on him and he knew this would be his last voyage. The mythical image of Panola kept returning to him, haunting his every waking hour. 
He chewed on a piece of Ganymedion seaweed, a habit to calm his pre-flight nerves. Ground control had already begun the countdown. Five. Four. He pulled the booster ignition lever. Three. Two. He pressed the launch button. One. The engines of the Comunicus roared into life as the behemoth lifted laboriously into the sky, bellowing fire upon the ground and flooding the spaceport with smoke. The hushed crowd watched as a monolithic craft eclipsed their sun, casting the crowd into momentary shadow before vanishing to a point beyond the firmament. The official count of those on the board was 2,208, but no one noticed the stowaway hiding between the barrels of moonwine in the hold. Two Lonesome Moons From the winding deck, the Comodicus, the passengers watched as they left Alosia's atmosphere, their familiar orange skies dissolving into a star-speckled darkness as the planet shrunk to a tiny green marble. Like the rest of the galaxy, the decks were separated according to class. Most of the people on the lower decks had never been into space before, and those on the middle decks were excited to start a new life on Earth, the galactic capital. A hum of activity rippled through the winding deck. Passengers flocked through doorways to find the grand escalator, chatting in groups about being part of this historic voyage and the adventures of its famous captain. Once the deck had been drained of commotion, only a couple of lost souls lingered in the comforting silence. Okay, so we had a little bit of a situation just then, um, because I can always tell when people are trying to fix the votes, because uh, they vote before the, you know, the reading's finished. And I'm the only person, actually, who can do that, because I've actually read the submissions beforehand and worked on my votes. But um, some people have managed to get in and uh, pre-vote here, um, which is not good, because uh, what, what we do is we just zero those, those, those votes straight out. So you're probably going to get less than you would do any other for any other reason. I'm not, not pointing fingers at any one particular person, but please don't do that in the future. It's, it kind of spoils everything for everybody else. Let's see what the Genius Room is saying. Um, and... Yeah... I, uh, Pamela Joe, yeah, this, the, the beginning, I'm reminded, says uh, Pamela Joe, of Edith Wharton's example of the good first sentence. To hell with it, said the Duchess as she lit her cigar. That's great. And that was from the Gilded Age. Uh, Jane said, I would start with the blast off. Uh, Jan says, it'd be fun to have one of these jump stories begin with uh, a jump. Yeah, actually, why not? It says, nice details, not enough's happening. RG says, give us a reason to care about this captain, please. That would grip us more than the launch sequence. And Matt says, story, please. Meandering a little bit. No central thrust yet. That's because the thrusters haven't been turned on, I think. Or maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Andy, you do. Mm, um... The title and the blurb I thought were quite nicely retro, to be honest. That that kind of appeals to me. That that mm. kind of you know, fifties, sixties forbidden planet kind of feel. That yeah. that does float my boat. Um, yeah. What there, there were massive warning signs for me going off like Belisha Beacons at the phrase "purple priestess" in your blurb, mate. Um, <laughs> you had me seriously worried, Ryan the Cheesemonger, when you when you brought in a why not it's important what, sorry we have to explore this in detail Andy what have you got against purple priestesses 
I love, no, I'm thinking of Prince as a priestess, obviously. Ah. And, and what, what would be <laughs> Silly no me, less, of course. No less perfect than that. Of course, of but, course, um, of course. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> you then, like, you know, the, the, the reading starts and it's a big block of text and your opening two sentences are pretty darn huge and, and they include the words pearlescent planetoid. Um, hmm. as, as I said before, I have, you know, this cast space opera full of jargon is, is my least favourite source of source sci-fi. Yes. So I do need to caveat myself again. But for me, mate, Ryan the Cheesemonger, unfortunately, this is a bit too cheesy. Um, oh, when you're talking about your, your captain being scorched by stars, I'm a bit like... Uh, yeah, you've lost. You're losing me, really, I'm afraid. Okay, um, right. the, the the premise of the jump, I think, is nice. I'd like to have found out about the stowaway because I figure hmm. maybe I'll you know kind of identify with them as a character. Hmm. But but yeah, unfortunately, it was it was too jargon heavy for me. Okay, I, I I think you put your finger on it there. It is retro, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I I like I personally enjoy. Tell you about my Star Trek being. Obviously, I enjoy retro. You're a very forward-looking young man, Jamie. Uh, is this, this going to appeal to you or not? It's nice of you to call me young because when you make that picture big, I realise how white my beard is. So, <laughs> so I appreciate I appreciate your support. It's wisdom. Um, it's wisdom. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, there was. I've written down. It felt weirdly old-fashioned. Like, and, and I think that's that's mm. also touched on that. The the title made me. It feels like it's going to be sort of like a. Uh, a Treasure Island rip, rip snorter, and um, hmm. I don't know if he's sort of going for the Jules Verne sort of thing, but it made hmm. me it kept making me think of Moby Dick for some, for some reason. I'm not, not quite sure, quite, not quite sure why. Maybe it's, maybe it's Captain. Well, you know I what? Those eighties. Sorry, Jamie, to interrupt, but I, 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 those eighties or nineties sort of airplane disaster movies, not the spoof ones, but the real ones. <laughs> no, no end of those. No end of those, weren't there? And are they yeah. quite watchable? Really, you know? I mean, lowest common mm. denominator. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I, I I I agree. I think there's there's just way 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 too much exposition. Like it, I would start probably at the blast off, but then I'd still cut a load of that out. There's a few intriguing bits in there. The captain, I thought the description captain was great. I've loved the idea of like a, a, a sort of like a, a gnarly old captain flying flying a spaceship. And I, I, like you, I like the idea of the, the stairway. Um, but yeah, just just way way too much. Right. Like that. Right. Although I do love cheese as well, and also not in a sexy way. So yeah, I should have given you some points for, for the cheese thing. You say that. You say that. Okay, so I feel very guilty about that now. But Ryan, you did tell us that, so don't expect to tell people that. And they, I, I actually think it's a great thing. Let's just be serious for a second. I do think it's a great thing to give a little bit of information like that as a talking point when you're when you're sending a submission in um because it allows people to just position you a little bit it doesn't matter if they come out with a joke or two doesn't matter they still they've made a personal connection with you and that's what counts let's look at the numbers it was an easy joke and i'm the fool to have made it but the, but the point being i think some of your some of your writing was a little bit florid and i will cut back on that fair enough great advice thank you very much you've got a 46 so far that uh, to be honest, uh, Ryan, that might be influenced by the pre-voting, actually, uh, in a negative way. You might have got more if there wasn't pre-voting, so I'm sorry about that. But that's all we can do if we see things coming in. It obviously is, is wrong if uh, people are voting, apart from me, because I've actually read everything. People are voting before they've actually seen the submission that's just not on, so we have to zero those votes out. I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah.
Here we go. Submission number five. Last of the day, safe in the future. It's specfic, which we're kind of squeezing into to this genre. Hello, Emmy. Nice to have you along too. It's by Emmy Lucas. This is your blurb. Satellite analyst Millie leaves the family home when her father dies. Wishing she made more of their relationship, she develops an idea to email him in the past, before illness set in. Struggling to complete her dream, ex-military hacker Red Badger discovers her software's potential and tries to kill her. Millie must stay one step ahead of the hacker and inevitable MI5 investigators if she wants to contact her father. Intriguing premise. Um, short and simple, I'm a registered architect. However, following the death of my father, I turned to storytelling. Um, my only publishing credit so far is a literary tweet. A literary tweet, hey? Uh, in an anthology of tweets, serious flash, flash fiction, which of course is what tweets are, uh, edited by Ben Warden. That's great. What's going to be even greater is this reading by Beverly. Safe in the Future by Emmy Lucas, read by Bev. Chapter One, Nearly Black. If I could work there permanently, not staff, I mean setting up an office in the corner, I so would. Although privileged with fast, anonymous and safe web access, it gets noisy and not blessed with the greatest concentration skills, my productivity would soon drop. There are other downsides too. Impossible to say no to cakes. A permanent residence would lead to a bulging waistline and teeth decay for sure. Café Black is Ruby's place. She owns it and, with her skilled baristas, she serves the best coffee in this part of town, or anywhere in town. My second home, where stylish lounge and cinematic down-tempo music flow with the drinks and sweet treats, promoting intellectual and creative conversations. The Wi-Fi is a 6G subterminal, expensive but a shrewd investment for the social able cafe. At five times faster than old 5G, it offers the fastest public access with greater security and privacy, better than most domestic connections, and popular. The place always oozes devices, all charging on the wireless recharge plates. My phone vibrates in my pocket as I arrive in front of the coffee shop. No surprise, no rest. I pull it out and check if someone needs an urgent response. A client text from Shirley Brown, MP. Good morning, Millie, she writes, polite as ever. Is it though? I want to reply. Saturdays are supposedly days off. I scratch the dry skin on my head between the roots of my hair. Then remember, I must stop doing that. With my takeaway cup tucked under my arm, I tap and send a reply. Hi, Shirley. Everything okay with you? Mrs. Brown is a witch finder. We worked on a government-funded public services audit, which required schedules for unemployed attendants at job centres and ambulance delivery to hospital A&E departments. Each datum collected and recorded live, not filtered or massaged by civil servants. Intel she holds close to her bosom, which allows her to stay a step ahead of other MPs. Data is power. There's another ping on my phone before I can push the door open. She's something important to tell me. 
Will I ever get my coffee? My finger moves to tap the screen and read Shirley's reply. A facer notification suddenly lights up the device and my tiredness doesn't stop me from answering. The video image connects and I've no choice but to take the call from Senor Teo Azevedo, a wizard of electrical goods manufacturing. I step away from Cafe Black onto the busy street and into the throng of Saturday morning shoppers browsing the market stools lining the pedestrianised street. Morning, Senor Azevedo. You're up very early, I say, remembering he's phoning from Brazil, which is three hours behind. Oi, bom dia, Senorita Mille. He high-fives the camera and waits. I fumble a virtual high-five back, hoping nobody's watching. You look beautiful today, he says. I've looked better and run fingers through my scruffy hair. The old lech, he's in his fifties, been around for sure, but an affable master in flirtatious business conduct. Easy to see how he launched himself to the top. Too kind, Senor Azevedo. How is Brasilia this morning? I don't rise to his ardour. Senor Azevedo flips the screen and holds his device's camera to a window, showing me the downpour. Through dribbling streaks of rain water on the windows, I see splashing cars and a kaleidoscope of coloured umbrellas dancing along the waterlogged streets of a very grey early morning in Brazil's capital. Raining all day and all night, Senorita Milly. Unbelievable, Senor, I say, with genuine interest. An image of true samba style in Brasilia's business district, as roads turn to rivers and pedestrians dance their way out of the deluge. I hope your building isn't swallowed up by Lake Paranoa. There's a hearty giggle in the background for several seconds, not just out of politeness. He's crazy, and why we gel so well. The man spent years and billions of banknotes on pioneering products for the domestic market, and copyrighted a zillion crazy high-tech designs. Thanks to this entrepreneur, my CubeSats are in orbit. I hitchhiked ten of mine aboard one of his rocket launches, a commercial payload of 8,000 space-bound units, including 5,000 of his own. Without my babies aboard, I'd have no chance of contacting Dad. They are my pilots to astrogate the world's satellite constellation. I owe that to Senor Azevedo, and despite his ingenuity, even he knows nothing of my plan. Thank you, Beverly. That's our last image of the day. Before we go to the um, genius room, let me just um, actually let's go to the genius room now. And I see Barbara's just joined us, who's, of course, one of our most august narrators. Um, and she's late. She's not good enough, Barbara, uh, but completely understandable. So, look, this is I've uh, prepared this uh, specially. OK, so it, things are really confusing um, because we are on daylight saving. Uh, no, we're on daylight saving from next Saturday night. OK, but the States is on daylight saving. Apart from Hawaii. So these are the key times for the next two live events. Saturday huddle, five o'clock UK, as you know, always stays like that, which translates on the East Coast to one o'clock just for this coming Saturday and 10 a.m. on the on the West Coast and pop out. So week today, five o'clock, as always, uh, UK, 12 noon 
um, Eastern Daylight Time and 9am Pacific Daylight Time. So hopefully that makes some sense to you. Let's look at the Genii. Um, what jumps out as R.G. Wurz's comment, can I suggest Mrs. Brown as a witch finder as an opening line? It's a lovely line. I, I, I think that's brilliant. Needs a bang, says says James. Uh, then rework the explanation later in the story. Every other sentence, says uh, Pamela Jo, could be cut as an exercise to help distill down to what we want to know, different from what the writer thinks we need to know. And Matt says, I'm fully expecting witches now, but I'm also expecting to be disappointed. Oh, dear. Let's see what Andy made of that. Um, I, I, don't, I really like the title. It's, when I first saw it, I thought it's, it's just odd. It just it does connect with me. Mm. I've ended up giving that a high mark. I just I just like it. The blurb I thought was an interesting premise, and then suddenly someone was trying to kill her for a bit of software, and I I got a bit lost by that. My, yeah. my main thoughts, your main thoughts in this was you spent a heck of a long time telling me about a cafe with good Wi-Fi, and I'm really would question whether that is how you want to start your novel because yeah. to be honest i was just bored i was yeah. just bored reading about a 6g connection that's better than a 4g connection and then you know you get a text yeah. to your phone is it a text yeah. you want to read or not and have to respond to i mean this is the the, the, the our, our own meandering dull lives isn't it is reflected in this which is fair in that when you're talking about impossible to you know to say no to cakes that's that's sweet i like that that, that had me you know that the orichi scalp is good but but you know the humdrum and humdrum technical technical lives to me do not speak of a, an exciting opening to a book so i would i would look again at that there were some good things in it but again when you, you're talking about government funded public services audits flip an egg I'd, I'd have trouble reading about that in the guardian let alone you know the star of a novel so so i'll give that a miss Thank you very much. Jamie. Um, I liked him, actually. <laughs> the opposite, the opposite, I, I didn't get the title really at all. Um, and I, I wasn't entirely sure about the blurb. I think there was some interesting stuff in it, but it, it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, there was some intrigue in there, but I, I didn't quite work out uh, about the email to the past. I couldn't quite get it. The, I thought just thought it had quite a nice tone, the way it's, where it was written. She, mm. she's, she's got a nice... A nice voice, and I, I not a lot happened, but I did start to connect with the character. I started to, to quite like her, mm. um, and it felt like a slightly off kilter John Le Carre. But hmm. and like John Le Carre does this, doesn't he? Where you have yeah. scenes of mundanity, and then something happens in it that sends everything off on a on a on a, on a tangent. And I, I had a bit of that. I, I quite like I quite like drip feeding the interesting things in like I thought that the, there was just the word social social abel and then facer and then there was the MP and the witch finder. So there's a few interesting bits dropping in. I, I do get it needed it needs a blooming good edit. Like it, it does, but I think yeah, it does. I think there is something interesting in there that I would like to see tidied up. Let's just have a little micro discussion on the genre. So you, it's coming as spec fic, which is <laughs> is you know a, a difficult really. Um, um, you just what did you just say, Jamie? Push it more towards. I think. Well, it's, it, I think it's sci-fi. It feels sci-fi, but it feels like a sort of. Uh, yeah, oh, Le Carre. Like yeah, yeah, Le Carre, but, yeah. but clearly it's like a sci-fi thriller, probably. Yeah. But spec 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 fiction is generally in a modern day setting but where something's different 
Yes, I think. Yes, bit, bit of the magical reel. Um, I I could see this going to women's fiction actually. Um, if you or as it's often known these days, uplit, uplit. <laughs> um, I could I could see it going like that. I think it's a nice voice. I find it quite engaging to read actually. Um, but I totally agree about the the Wi-Fi. Also, uh, to be honest, uh, the Brazilian stuff I thought was a bit much. I don't know, do I need to know this right now? This guy's going. Oh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. But there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's a nice authorial voice going on there. Um, let's look at the 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 numbers. You got a sixty. You got a sixty. Um, Jamie thinks you've got lots of commercial potential there. Uh, Andy doesn't so much, and I kind of do. So <laughs> we're all over the place. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm sure it has been. Emmy is uh, as as live on YouTube. He said it's been hard to genre it. Let's just put our thinking caps on. All three plus genius room, please. Um, let's um, Andy give us give us a, a, a nice commercial genre for Emmy to push this to, please. Let's be. I'd, I'd say it's I'd say it's sci-fi. I'd say that falls into sci-fi. Okay. You know, it's 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 Wi-Fi and use of email in the future, and that's a lovely hook, isn't it? To be to be able to talk to dead to your dead relatives through email. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yes. All right. What do you? Uh, but you don't agree, do you, Jamie? No, I think I think it's sci-fi. I go sci-fi thriller, and I think the the the, the twist that she's got is it's quite um, female-led. Because let's face it, most sci-fi yes. is a bit of a sausage fest. Totally. So she yes. she has got quite a difference. Okay. Okay. Let's see if the genius room agree with that. Oh, I think they do. Pamela uh, says, so thinking of the Japanese book before the coffee gets cold. Time travel to the past. A certain old coffee shop, but you have to be back before your Java gets cold. Oh yes. What a nice concept. Uh, let's look at the numbers. You got a 59 there. Congratulations, Emmy. Let's look at the overall scores now. 59, 46, 69. Looks like it's doing all right, Kit. You haven't done any fun. I'm sorry, Ryan. I don't know why either. I'm sorry, but you know, we we just we we can't do that because it distorts things badly. I'm afraid. Uh, what this means, of course, uh, Kit, is that. <laughs> well done, Kit. You're a weekly winner. Delighted to say that. I think we all we all really enjoyed that. Somewhat of a divisive title, but distinctive. It will stick with you. It will stick with you. It's been a great show. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you so much, Jamie. Always great value. Uh, I tell you what, should we see how um, our friend Brandon is doing finally before we, we sign off? Oh, he's still stuck on twenty-three and a half million pounds. Ooh. Maybe he needs <laughs> some more exposure. Bless him. Is he going to be able to struggle through to next week? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh dear, he can just oh dear. Probably just about afford English electricity now, couldn't he, and petrol? <laughs> oh, we were discussing this a day or two ago, and I said, "Yeah, what, what could you do with all that excess money? He's made over what he set out to do." And someone very sensibly said, "He could make the movie. He could finance the whole damn movie. Actually, if he wants or, to do or, that, but." Or you could drive from London to, to uh, Manchester and then burn it all in petrol. Exactly. <laughs> Just about, actually. Yeah. Or oh, seriously, you could... Uh, Brandon, if you happen to be looking, I don't know if you do secretly, you could actually do some good with it. A lot of people who've uh, left their homes in the Ukraine right now could do with a bit of that cash. Maybe anyway. you'll do the right thing. Let's hope you do. Yeah. Guys, it's been great. Fabulous having you on. Fabulous having the genius room here. Let's do it all again, same time, next week. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. All you met with suits and ties, just sitting in the crowd, smoking.